Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Thank you, Steve, for um, leading us through this morning and for the musicians as well. Um, we come to this great chapter in the book of Jonah today where we uh, see second chances, a second chance for Jonah, a second chance for the people of Nineveh. And that's what we're going to be thinking about, um, partly through looking at who God is. And there are various aspects of God that we're going to look at and his character this morning. We're going to look at the fact that God is full of grace, the fact that God is full of goodness, and the fact that God is full of power, God of second chances. I wonder if you had been driving in Knightsbridge in London and came across this junction, how would you feel? Would you know what to do? Because as you can see, the, um, well, the turn, it looks like right is faded and left has been painted over it, but the arrows point in both directions. You might look at the, um, if you can see them, the, the turn left in blue uh, that seems to give direct instructions, but right at the back is a temporary sign that says no left turn. Can you imagine getting there and just having that moment of, what am I supposed to do here? I remember a number of years ago, I hadn't been driving for very long, uh, and I was in Swindon, and I came across a road junction which I have never seen the like of. This is a picture of it. It's called the Magic Roundabout. Uh, I don't know, some of you may have come up to there, and I, I knew that as I was approaching, I had to turn right. And I had this moment of looking at that, thinking, does that mean I'm supposed to go around one, two, three, four mini roundabouts, or can I just turn right? No, you can't. You have to go around all of them. But it was just that moment of, that moment of coming there and looking at it, thinking, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? Fortunately, there was lots of other traffic around, so I was able to just follow them. That moment of disorientation. I wonder... For Jonah, as we reach this part of the story, is there a moment for him of complete disorientation? He has been caught in a storm. He's been thrown overboard. He's been swallowed by a big fish that has just vomited him out onto the land. Could he be at this moment completely disorientated? What now? You know, here he is, the prophet of God. Is he allowed to be a prophet anymore? Will he hear from God anymore? This thing about going to Nineveh, is that all over now? What happens? Well, of course, we have heard the story as Mariel read it for us. The God of second chances, the God who is full of grace, the God who is full of goodness, and the God who is full of power. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. First of all, let's look at the God of grace. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Here we are that Jonah has the same message again. Go to Nineveh. In other words, he isn't disqualified from being a prophet because he hears God's word again. He hasn't 
spoilt the chance of going to Nineveh, although he probably wanted to have spoiled the chance, because God's word is still the same to him. You may have been disobedient, but I am still calling you to go to Nineveh. Jonah has a second chance, a second chance to do what is right. In fact, he has done absolutely nothing to deserve it. As we follow the story through, as I said, uh, and for those of you that have been here over the last weeks, it's a bit of a recap for you, but God's word came to him and he said, go to Nineveh, uh, and Jonah said, no, I'm going to Tarshish, and went deliberately in the opposite direction as an act of complete disobedience to God. As he's on the ship heading towards Tarshish, a storm comes up so that the pagan sailors are calling out to all manner of gods. Jonah doesn't call out. He's not speaking to God. He ignores God. Jonah goes down into the boat and falls asleep. And true, as we were looking at last week, when Jonah is thrown overboard and he is swallowed by a big fish, true, it comes to this moment where he prays, and there is evidence within the prayer that there's some kind of repentance that is going on, and he's looking towards God once again. But let's be honest, he hasn't actually done anything to prove that he deserves a second chance. He hasn't done anything to make it suggest that, actually, God, you can trust me now. He hasn't been looking for God to trust him again. He he hasn't really paid penitence for it, done all manner of things to say, I'm really sorry, Lord. And yet, God gives him a second chance. God gives us a second chance as well. And as Steve said, second, third, fourth, and I think you went up to fifth. God keeps giving us chances. God loves us, and God is full of grace. Uh, And as I was preparing this, I felt that we might know that in theory, but do we actually accept it in our lives? I, I like the story of a CEO of a company who usually had a secretary who was around to do um, things like photocopying for him. Um, But one day, um, he didn't have her. It was late, and the secretary had gone. uh, And he walked out towards a a shredding machine. And he got this piece of paper, and he was standing looking at the machine. He obviously didn't know what to do. Just then, a junior manager who had stayed late as well was coming past and thought, well, I can offer to help the CEO of this company. And he said, would you like me to take this paper and put it in the machine for you? And and he said, yes. And so he put it into the shredder, pressed the button, the piece of paper disappeared. The CEO turned to him and said, oh, thank you so much. It's such an important document, this one, and I only have one copy of it. I wanted to photocopy it before anything happened to it. A document shredded, gone forever. I wonder if actually that describes how some of us feel at times in life. I've had a chance, I blew it. That's it. Completely shredded now. 
You see, because sometimes we do make big mistakes, and we can regret what we have done, and we can be really, really hard on ourselves. And we say, how can God possibly forgive me? I, I know in theory that God does forgive, but actually, I'm not sure that he really forgives me. But God is a God who gives more than one chance. Just read the Bible and you will see again and again, God gives more than one chance. There's Abraham. God promises to Abraham, he says, you and your wife Sarah, you will have a child and through you will spring a nation. And it doesn't seem to happen. And so what does Abraham and Sarah do? They decide that what they will do is they will give Sarah's servant to Abraham so that he can have a child through her. And he does that. They mess it up. God gives a second chance, and they still have a child, and through that child comes the nation of Israel. Read on and read the story of Jacob. Jacob lies to his father. He cheats his brother out of the blessing that his older brother should have, and yet Jacob is given the name Israel, the name of a nation. Look at King David, King David who committed adultery with Bathsheba and yet is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Take Simon Peter in the New Testament now. Uh, and that moment on the night before Jesus is crucified where Peter denies three times even knowing Jesus and yet becomes one of the greatest leaders of the early church. Again and again, we see that God gives second chances. It isn't one chance, I've messed up, it's shredded, that's it. God restores and God enables people to come back to a place of being obedient to him. And it may be that there are some people here today who feel like, actually, I have really messed up. Let me just say something about a difference. We all mess up. Uh, and there's something about guilt which can be helpful or can be hindering us. Guilt that convicts us to change is Holy Spirit-driven. When it says, actually, I've messed up, that was wrong, I'm really sorry, God, I want to do better in the future, I'm going to take action to make sure I do better in the future because I want to be obedient to you. That's good. But there is also a guilt that condemns, where we say, I feel absolutely awful for doing this, I'm so rubbish, I'm terrible, why would anyone care about me? That is a wrong form of guilt, that is not from God. You see, God says, I give you a second chance. I long for you to do the right thing. However many times you have done the wrong thing, my longing is for you to do the right thing now. I just wonder, are the people here today who need to hear this message? God loves you. God forgives you. God gives you another chance. And I wonder if there's some of us who may be struggling, because the other place we can find this difficult is when we see someone else given a second chance. Because we say, actually, they've messed up. 
How can I ever trust them again to do the right thing? Why should they get another chance? There's part of us. That's a human reaction, isn't it? When we, particularly if somebody does something that hurts us. And yet we're called to become more like God, who gives second chances. So I just wonder today, is there something that we need to hear about God's grace for us? Let's remember this verse from Romans that Paul writes. He says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we had done nothing to earn a second chance, God gives it to us. He gives it to you. He gives it to me. He gives it to others. God's grace truly is amazing. The second thing we're going to look at is God's goodness. God's goodness. We read on in the story, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. A number of the commentators suggest it's actually to do with the size of the city, this, that you couldn't possibly cross the city in one day. It's so big, you need three days to keep going and giving this message. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, Put on sackcloth. It, when you think about it, it's, um, it's not a very long message, is it? Just eight words that Jonah goes with. Eight words, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Well, there could be a number of reasons why Jonah was very reluctant to go to Nineveh. First of all, we can look at what Nineveh was like. The people of Nineveh were cruel. They were known for their violence. They were known for being a people who lacked fairness, who treated each other harshly. Why would you want to go there and give this message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned? Your very safety, your well-being, it's in danger. It's not a journey that Jonah would have wanted to undertake for any reason whatsoever. And yet, look at what happens. Jonah goes, all he says is these eight words, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. What an amazing ministry that is. Eight words. If I could say eight words, you'd be very happy if that's all it was. But just imagine that that's the turning point for people in their lives. Eight words. That's all they need to hear. And they turn. What I want to say at this point is sometimes we are faced with journeys in life that we really do not want to go on. It's the last place that we would ever choose to go. Sometimes it, it, we actually really have no choice whatsoever. It's just the way life unfolds. We're on a journey we do not want to be on. Maybe some of you here today are on a journey you do not want to be on. 
Sometimes there's a journey that we're called to go on, and it is an act of obedience. Uh, And the last thing we want to do is go on this journey because we can see it could be very costly. It could be sacrificial. It isn't what we would choose to do ourselves. But what we see is, when we're on a journey that God is with us for, he brings good things. You know, Jonah did not want to go on that journey. He did not want to go to Nineveh, but he says eight words and the whole of the place turns. That's amazing. God can bring us blessings and we can experience his goodness even when we are on a journey that we do not want to be on. If you're here today and you're thinking, I'm facing this journey right now, I really do not want to be on it. Hear this, God is good all the time. God is with you all the time. Even through the pain, even through the struggles, I believe God will reveal blessings in that time. And it may be that even at the end of the journey, however painful, however hard it has been, your testimony will be, but I know God was with me and God is good. It may be you're here at a moment called out in a step of obedience that you do not want to go on. You're not sure if it takes you beyond your abilities, not sure about whether uh, you can cope with what it might bring. But in obedience, as you go, you will experience the goodness of God. Because where God calls, he will reveal his blessing. That's Jonah's experience. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And there is the goodness of God. Of course, when it comes to obedience, what it therefore, sorry, when it comes to this journey, when we don't go on it, want to go on it, we need to be obedient. I I love the story that I heard about a missionary who was in a country where they didn't know the scriptures and he was trying to teach them. And he came across a problem when it came to the word of obedience, because there wasn't a natural word that would translate as obedience for them. And he was pondering, how on earth do I get across this concept of obedience? Now, he had a dog while he was out there, and uh, one day the dog ran off in amongst some trees out of his sight, and he whistled for the dog, and the dog came bounding back to him right up to his feet. And one of the locals said to him in their language, the equivalent of what would be for us, ah, your dog is all ears. And suddenly he realized he had a word for obedience that they would understand. And you see, actually, what I believe for us is we need to be all ears so that when God says something to us, we leap up and say, yes, I'll go. I'm here. I'm ready. Not because I want to go, not because it's easy, not because there isn't a cost involved necessarily, but because you are good. You are the one who deserves my obedience. All ears. Let me ask us a question today. Are we all ears? for what God might be saying. Are we ready to say, God, I will go on the journey 
I know you are with me. And I believe you will bless me as I am all ears, as I am obedient to you. Third thing that I want to talk about is God's power. God's power. The story continues. We're told they declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And then it comes, the news reaches the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, it may be that the king and other people in Nineveh were ready to hear God's word because things weren't actually going that well for them at this time. There were various famines. There were revolts. There were things going on that just made them question, are the gods, as they understood it, saying something to us? So when Jonah comes with this message, they listen. And the king has power. The king has power to make a difference, and he instructs everyone. I mean, this is an incredible about-turning. It's not just all human beings that are called to fast and to wear sackcloth. But he says, don't let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and and beast be covered with sackcloth. This is quite extensive, isn't it? Now, part of my mind, this is the literal part, I confess to you, is wondering, how do you stop a cow from eating grass? I don't know. If you've got answers, come and let me know later. There's another part of me where it thinks about sackcloth. You know, sackcloth, it tended to be um, goat's hair woven together. Uh, And you would wear it inside out so that it would rub against your skin. And the idea was it made you very uncomfortable so that you were showing God just how sorry you were. You were kind of taking the punishment, if you like. You were suffering so that God wouldn't punish you. Uh, That's kind of the idea behind sackcloth. But even the beasts are to wear it. So get this, the goats have goat's hair, don't they? Uh, And they're to wear a sackcloth, which is kind of their own hair turned inside out to wear upon. Maybe you shouldn't go this far with the images, but uh, uh, just an interesting thing there. Um, Some other interesting things in this passage. Let me tell you, because what happens is when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring them upon them the destruction he had threatened. Do you know what the most accurate translation of that is? Fascinating, and I was diverted for a good hour on this while I was preparing it. It says this, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring them the destruction he had threatened. But this is the accurate translation. It says, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do to them. That's the most accurate Hebrew translation of it. God repented of evil. That's why I say there's plenty you can go into there. And um, um, let me just say, God repenting, there's a lovely imagery that's going on here. So the people of Nineveh turn, and it's almost like God is mirroring that because the, the heart of the word here for repent is God changes his mind. It's not that he was doing something wrong. 
and the evil is that it was a bad thing that was going to happen. And let's face it, whenever anyone is destroyed, it's a bad thing that's going to happen. So these are, there's a whole lot more with it. Ask me about it afterwards if you like. Um, but what I wanted to say through this is actually what we get a sense of is God's power. You see, the king has a certain amount of power because he can call on the people to repent, to wear sackcloth. But God has the power to change the course of history. God has the power to change the hearts of people. And what I want to say to us today is, you know, those of you that have been around for a while, we've been looking at Matthew 28 uh, and the call that we have to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have a call not to be people who are Christians just when we come in here, but we're to go out through those doors and as we go out to share our faith with other people. And sometimes we think, well, how on earth can I do this? I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel like I have the skills to be somebody who goes out. How can I share my faith in a way that other people will respond to it? Remember the words of Jonah. I'm not suggesting this is an evangelistic technique, by the way. But he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Eight words. God uses those eight words in power. You see, Jonah wasn't that powerful. In fact, a lot of the commentators say this is very reluctant obedience from Jonah. It's almost like he's trying to do the job badly. You know, he doesn't say to the Ninevites, look, you can still repent. God loves you. He wants you to turn. None of that message, just 40 more days and you're done for. That's all he's saying. It's almost like, you know, when somebody asks you to do a job and you agree to do it and you really don't want to do it. So what you do is you think, I'll do it as badly as possible so I'm never asked again. That's how it feels to me, like Jonah is responding in obedience. But you know what? Even at that moment, God uses it. God uses it. However badly we feel like we are equipped to do something, however ill-prepared, God can use the little that we have to get an amazing response. Jonah, eight words, said probably with great reluctance, and a city repents. Why? Because Jonah's powerful? Not at all. Because God is powerful? Absolutely. Uh, so let me encourage you, if you feel God is placing on your heart something to do, that you think, well, this takes me way out of my comfort zone, way out of my ability in what I can do, don't worry about it because God is the one who has the power to do it. When God calls us to do something, we're not responsible for the results of it. We are responsible simply for being obedient. He does the rest. And that's far more powerful. Uh, and the other thing that just struck me about this as well. Those of you that were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that pagan sailors came to know God. God cares about the individual, and they turned and they worshipped him. Uh, and we took some moments to write down names of people that we know that we want to pray for because we want them to come to know Christ. And we have been praying through those names at different times, and we will keep praying through them as well. But you know what struck me? I was thinking, look, we care about the individual. That's good, that's great, that's important. God doesn't just change one or two people's lives. God has the power to change a whole city. And that city is at the heart of a whole nation in Assyria. You see, while we pray for individuals, I sometimes wonder if part of what we're supposed to do through this is we need to pray, part of the message we need to hear is let's pray in faith to the God who has the power to change cities. 
Why can't the city of Norwich have a revival that breaks out where people suddenly turn one person after another to Christ? Why can't that happen? It can, because God's got the power. When we're praying for individuals, absolutely, let's keep doing that. We need to pray for the individual because God cares about that. But let's pray for our city. Let's pray for our nation. I think it's about time that our land needs another revival with all that's going on. And, and as I stand here, I, I have to be completely honest with you. I kind of think, oh, I can't, just can't see it happening. It's never happened in my lifetime. But actually, that's because I'm thinking in my strength and not God's strength. God has the power to change nations. In the Welsh Revival, 1904, 1905, that sort of period, there was a moment, there's a, a lovely story that I heard about how as people were turning to Christ, and particularly in the shipyards, uh, this was having an effect. And there were workers there who had come to Christ who had stolen from their employers, things like wheelbarrows, hammers, uh, other tools, that kind of thing. Uh, and having turned to Christ, they had this time of repentance where they suddenly felt, we've got to return all the things that we've stolen. And so there were one or two yards that actually had this kind of notice outside of it. They said, if you have stolen something from us in the past and you feel led by God to return it, please keep it and know that the management forgives you. Because they were just so inundated with stuff being returned and they couldn't cope with it. The management loves you, wants you to keep it. The management forgives you. That's the message. But you see, a nation that is changed because of what God does. That's how powerful God is. That's what I want to pray for and for us to pray for in a few moments. That God will change this nation. That God will change this city because he has the power to do it. That people will understand that God is a God of grace who longs to forgive and give people another chance to completely turn their lives around. That God is a God who is full of goodness, that doesn't want to spoil people's lives. God is not a God who puts lots of rules in place so that we can't enjoy ourselves. God is a God who is full of goodness, who releases us to enjoy life in all its fullness. And that's what God wants for you, for me. He wants it for this city and he wants it for this nation. And God is the one who has the power to do it. And actually, no matter how many uh, programs we run, However much teaching we might do, and let me encourage you, come along on Wednesday for the Sharing the Faith course. It's great to do things like this. But you know what? However well we feel equipped, whatever strategies we come up with, there is nothing compared to the power of God. You know, it's no excuse for not being prepared, but God used the words of Jonah, 40 more days until you're done for. And he used those words and he changed a city. God can use our words, however stumbling, however poorly put together, to bring change. Because God has the power. God has the goodness. God has the grace. For us, for our city, for our nation, and for our world. Praise him. Amen.